Hey everyone, this is Luke, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. Our busy schedules haven't allowed us to podcast as regularly as we did in the beginning or as much as we want, but we are keeping the podcast alive and we will get episodes out whenever we can. We just definitely don't want to rush out episodes that aren't researched or thoughtful, etc. Anyways, this episode's topic is happiness and hedonic adaptation. If you haven't heard the term, hedonic adaptation, or the hedonic treadmill, is a psychological term that dates back to a 1971 paper, and it was also made famous by a 1978 paper that studied lottery winners and the relativity of happiness. These papers will all be linked in the episode notes, by the way. Basically, hedonic adaptation is a kind of psychological immune system that adjusts us towards positive and negative experiences, making us continually return to a base level of happiness. In other words, it's, it's the process through which we become desensitized towards familiar things. It results in a feeling like we are on a treadmill constantly chasing something new to make us happy and satisfied. So even after something like a big promotion or getting married or winning the lottery, etc., we, we tend to fall back into the same baseline of happiness. And aside from the science of hedonic adaptation, we also talked more philosophically about the meaning of happiness and whether it's a good goal in life. People tend to mean different things when using the word happiness, and it intersects with a lot of related words like joy, pleasure, tranquility, peacefulness, excitement, satisfaction, being content, being cheerful, um, and one we especially focused on, well-being. We eventually settled on the need for at least two different definitions, a kind of capital H happiness for the deeper forms of well-being and tranquility versus a lowercase h happiness for the more bubbly, fleeting, and hedonistic forms of the word. And aside from exploring these definitions, we also ask questions like, is happiness something we get from the external world or does it come from within? Do we really seek happiness or are we more running away from suffering? What is the difference between a meaningful life and a happy life? And lastly, we talked about ways that you can overcome hedonic adaptation through routines such as a dopamine detox and spiritual practices such as beginner's mind and gratitude. I realized in researching and preparing for this episode that it's such a giant topic with so many uh, tendrils of possible directions that we'll probably make this a recurring topic area and return to it from time to time and put out more specific episodes as we evolve on the topic, as we encounter more research and just have new life experiences. Anyways, that's enough of an intro from me. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode on happiness and hedonic adaptation. Okay, exploring Kodawari. Hi. <laughs> Hello. This is like our alternate persona when we do a podcast, especially if we don't do one in like a while. <laughs> it's like we're talking like normal and then I hit record and all of a sudden we're like, wait, how should we talk? Yeah, this is all. So cheers. That's why we have a little. Um, yeah, cheers. What, what would you call this? A Turkish? Uh, Basically some whiskey in a Turkish tea glass. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it kind of looks like tea, like really light tea, but it's our, it's our uh, liquid greasing up the the mental wheels. Um, so today's topic, it might turn into a whole series of topics that go somewhere over time. I don't know. Let's see. I don't want it to run too long. I think the birth of this, if you remember from like maybe a month or two ago, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I want to do an episode on hedonic adaptation. Yes. It's a concept I've been hearing everywhere and really thinking about experiencing. Yeah. And then as I was preparing an episode on this concept of hedonic adaptation, I thought, well, we should put a section on like happiness and just talking about what is it like more philosophically, you know, yeah. the, the, the hedonic treadmill is more of like a s science, like there are lots of studies and whatever, mm -hmm. but I feel like exploring happiness is a little more philosophical. Definitely. We can be. Luckily there are no rules. So we're going to do a little <laughs> bit of both, but um, if we start going too much on about happiness, I think we'll divert away mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. And it can be like future episodes and explore different things in the umbrella term of happiness. Because I think a lot of words are kind of similar to happiness 
well-being and mm -hmm. like meaningful yeah like having meaning in life yeah uh That's pleasure right. you know pleasure, like yeah. um you know i'm really happy with uh the how the builder made our new kitchen right or i'm mm -hmm. really happy with my life you know those pleased. are like yeah. different i'm pleased with this breakfast you know i'm happy that we had breakfast like we use this word it's sort of like the word love like we use it in so many different things so i think it gets a little bit lost it loses on, its meaning it's important i think or it just loses um it, it's just unclear that we all mean the same thing by it if you know what i mean you know like i use it if i say oh i think a good goal in life is happiness you might think that's a shallow goal, um, but I might be meaning something much deeper than you think. So let's explore this mm -hmm. a little bit. I want to start with a quote. It's from The Wizard of Oz, like the book. <laughs> um, it's, I shall take the heart, returned the tin woodsman, for brains do not make one happy, and happiness is the best thing in the world. Interesting. So yeah, I'll, I'll start it off with like, what do you think happiness is <laughs> or for you? Or just, I'm going to ask that question and see where, where you go with it. <laughs> the first thing that, that triggers is the Don Draper answer, Madman answer. Happiness is the moment before you want more happiness, <laughs> which is, again, I think it goes hand in hand with hedonic adaptation. You always kind of want more. You're just, there's no end to it. I mean, we're going to get into that more, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. What is happiness for me? It's very hard to answer. I think it goes hand in hand with meaning. Like, I think if there's meaning, then there's happiness. That It's definitely not something that's permanent. For you. Yeah, for me. Like, I think it goes hand in hand with meaning, having a meaning in life. I think, what do you think like an 18-year-old? Um, so this guy was just talking, He I listened to a podcast today, and I think his name is Arthur Clark. And he teaches, he was a French horn player, actually. <laughs> and uh, transitioned careers into being an economist. And now he teaches at Harvard Business School, if I remember correctly. And he teaches a class on happiness to business majors. Mm -hmm. And he said he always starts the class with like asking them, what, what is happiness? So let me guess. What, what would you think like an 18-year-old answer to that might be? I mean, I don't want to think that they're too shallow, but I might say something about related to money, maybe. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, so... There's, if you ask more specific questions, like, like what is a happy life or something? Mm -hmm. And that other famous happiness uh, academic, Lori Santos, she has that podcast mm -hmm. called The Happiness Lab. Mm -hmm. And she teaches the most popular course at Yale. Um, I forget the title of the course, but it's something about happiness. Yeah. And I'm she's really amazing. And she's got all these studies at the tip of her tongue. And I think that's what made me think we should go into other topics or do other episodes eventually, because there's fascinating studies about like simply leaving your phone at home when you take your kids to the museum, for example, mm -hmm. like, and then you take tests of measuring people's happiness versus a control group or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like people are just like measurably happier. Of course. of course. Or people smile at each other more in a doctor's waiting room when they're not staring at their phone. So I there's all these branches and stuff. You notice so much more in life, basically. Like, yeah. yeah, definitely. But what's the answer? From so the, the answer is they say it's that like bubbly feeling that you get, okay. you know? And then he says... His first reply to them is that, well, if I said, what is Thanksgiving dinner, you wouldn't say it's the smell of Thanksgiving dinner, right? That's a sign of Thanksgiving dinner. It's, it's, yeah, it's a result of what Thanksgiving it represents, dinner. represents, basically, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so that's, that's, I just heard that for the first time today. <clears throat> today. And that, that kind of syncs up with what I've arrived at over the last month, I've been just taking notes on happiness, thinking myself, listening to things, um, reading whatever different different interpretations of 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 happiness and hedonic adaptation, and I kind of think that that bubbly feeling is an element to happiness, mm -hmm. but. But I think it's like a symptom. It's not necessarily well. Symptom implies negative. It's like just a. a <laughs> Then like a positive word. Well, it's just a, 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 a byproduct. <laughs> byproduct. Okay, I like that better. Yeah. But it might not even be a byproduct because it's something we love. It feels amazing, right? Um, and just to, I'm not even going to, you can answer these if you have, if an answer pops into your head. But I, I wrote these two questions down when I was first getting into this topic and thinking, where can it go? Mm -hmm. 
I wrote, what is the difference between happiness and well-being? And then what is the difference between a meaningful life and a happy life? Hmm. You can just say passive, like no, but, no, 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 no. It's it's. I, I kind of want to think, not the first one, but second one. I immediately have an idea because I think I. That's kind of what I said. I think happiness comes from meaning. So I think a meaningful life will lead to a happy life. To me, like that's exact. That's kind of how I feel, at least. And well being is more like. A, again, I'm not a native speaker, so I don't know. But like to my head, I just has a more of a physical kind of element to it or like uh, a mental, I don't know. Like it's, it's more like a like health. You mean something that you need to sustain. Yeah, exactly. Like a well-being, like good mental health, good physical health. I don't know. Again, for me, when I put the word meaningful next to happy, compare and contrast, whatever. And same thing with well-being. It's more like, um, what I've heard this, uh, what is his name? Uh, Locke Kelly, he's this like wild meditation teacher, like really interesting dude. And he talked about the difference between lowercase h happiness and uppercase h. And so sometimes people confuse the two, right? What Don Draper was talking about when he's talking to a bunch of businessmen, businessmen and saying like, you know, you're happy with getting 65% of the market? Like, yeah, you're rich, but haven't you figured out like rich is not good enough. Like yeah. you become satisfied with that when you get it and then you become unsatisfied and you want more. Right. So that feeling of happiness is the moment right before it's not good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's this capital H happiness, which is more words like inner peace, tranquility, well-being. I, yeah. I would say it's like a wisdom of understanding that, happiness is not something you have. It's not something you hold on to. It's not something you are permanently ever, right? Yes. It's waves. Happiness comes in waves. Definitely. And I would say you're right that if if you're aiming more at this idea of whatever it means, we'll save that for a different episode, but a meaningful life, <laughs> um, that, that meaningful moments you you get signals of meaning through these like bubbly waves of happiness mm -hmm. and you can get small h waves of happiness meaning like you're eating a delicious meal you can get like medium h waves of happiness maybe you're <laughs> eating a delicious meal with someone you love you know yes and then you're on a vacation you're just appreciating like where you are in life right yes and then i wrote this in my phone today because i had a memory pop into my head I think the biggest capital H version of happiness is the ones that happen even in like dark moments. That's true. Meaning That's, like... When it's like very, when it's very easy, like most of the time, I think it's very easy to feel the bubbly version, you know, when you have a slight buzz going on, et cetera, when you're like doing shallow things, like that kind of hits you for a second. But yeah, I think that's like a, more I, deep version of I it. I was thinking emerges. like almost um, at my grandma's funeral, I remember yeah. after one of the wakes, um, not everyone, but let's say like a third of the people there, a lot of the cousins and some of the uncles, there was like a restaurant bar kind of like right across the street from where the wake was. And like everybody had just been crying, you know, but we were sitting there and then like there was this sort of like, it's this capital H happiness. What I mean is like, it isn't just like this isolated moment of like, oh, here's all the good stuff in life. It's like this big encompassing moment of like, I'm holding it all. Like yeah. I see the the dark side of death and suffering and all of that. And it's all contained within this sense of well-being and um, acceptance. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yes. Marcus Aurelius right, uh, calls this... Uh, uh, to be in peaceful unity with what must be. Hmm. So there's an element to, of surrender to it, you know, yes. a, a sort of just accepting reality as it is and, and feeling very grounded and centered and, and peaceful and tranquil, right? right? I'm, I'm just saying a bunch of synonyms really, but, yeah. I, you know, this is what I think people mean when they say capital H, like happiness. 
And so I would agree with you that, yeah, aiming at happiness is a bad aim in life if you mean purely the bubbly feeling or purely the bubbly feeling like coming from shallow things, like, yes. like eating that piece of cake or, you know, if you abandon responsibilities in life to chase after small age happiness, you will eventually not be able to get a bubbly hit from that. Exactly, you know? which takes us to basically having issues with your dopamine system, like, yeah, which yeah. all of us are... That? Sure, so I've been researching this a lot, because, um, not a lot, but quite a bit, because I was kind of feeling like I needed like a dopamine reset. So I looked into dopamine detox a little bit, and... Um, what is dopamine? What is dopamine? It's like a receptor i guess is that oh i'm not I like super like literate neuro, neurochemical neurochem right there we have receptors for we have it receptors for it exactly i'm not super science literate so forgive me if i'm saying something wrong but basically what happens is when you start to overdose on dopamine like small things for instance some people do in like indulging in social media like just basically repetitive behavior uh it's not necessarily that you overdose on dopamines what happens is like the receptors start to not receive it. So basically you keep indulging in this behavior of whatever it is for you, scrolling or like some people watch porn, like those kinds of things. Or food. Or food, exactly. Like or eating. pretty much any behavior, I would yeah. guess. I think it's called like the pleasure molecule sometimes. Yeah, so you and stop getting... Serotonin is the other one, but from what I understand, dopamine is unique because it's like, it's our motivation system, right? Yes, and so like I think so. you can be motivated to get a really deep goal in life, like get that new job or get a degree in, in this field. But mm -hmm. people are also motivated to drive to the grocery store and buy that dessert or, you know, so. Just things that you basically stop even having control. It's not even like emotion where it's controlled, like a social media scrolling would be well, like, that's I'm like a little a, bit guilty of that. Easy. Like you don't yes. have to get in a car to scroll down TikTok like for five more exactly. minutes, right? Yeah. So um, basically you start to do compulsively do something that you don't even enjoy at the end because your receptors just are just not really receiving any pleasure out of it. And you start to feel more and more miserable however you keep doing the same behavior. So that's when... Almost like getting addicted to a drug, right? Exactly. You're so, like, wait, why is this thing not hitting me the way it, it hit me the first time? Like, do I yeah. need more? Do I need more, right? Yeah. And you chase after this thing, like a carrot on a stick, right? Yes. And I was like watching this YouTube video about this. I forgot who it was, but um, he was doing a dopamine reset for like seven days. And then he had these like fancy equipments. Like he did like a brain scan. He did, completed a few tasks, et cetera. And then like where the area that lights up in your brain is, I think, like it's your front brain. Like when you are having like an overdose reaction towards dopamine i don't know exactly what it is but then for seven days he detoxed and then it was just completely different like i think it was more of the back area i leave it to you like what that means but it was more like he was completing a bunch of tasks and he his brain was working even slower like because it was constantly distracted like so yeah basically your brain chemistry changes i guess when you what exactly is a dopamine detox i i would assume if you're, let's say, the, the, I'll give you the one example I've heard about this on some YouTube channel. It was like, um, the, even something as simple as you want a glass of water, even though you don't associate that with like pleasure, there's actually, you get some dopamine from that, right? And the thirstier you get, the more your brain will motivate you with the, the, potential reward of going to find that cold glass of water is taking the sip and going, Oh, thank God. That was amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he would say like, I even pause when like, I feel that initial like impulse to go get a glass of water and sort of step away from it, let it pass. And then I'll get a glass of water in 20 minutes, but it's getting rid of that pattern of the immediate impulse following it, getting the pleasure kind yeah. of thing. So it's like almost changing the circuitry in a way but maybe you're talking about more like resetting receptors yeah, it's, it's more or like a reset i mean it, it says like it's known as detox but like it's there's dopamine dopamine is not like a toxin for your brain it's not bad or good like it's a very neutral response that happens in your brain so it's more like a reset yeah because um 
it starts to, I guess, right. misfire or overfire. Like, well, in today's res- world, especially, right? Yeah, exactly. So what I think you do is, depending on what your habit is, to just cold turkey for like a while. On whatever what you're happens. trying to reset. Exactly. Right? Obviously, like yeah. you have to eat, but... Oh, yeah, like, obviously. I'm just and talking about what I watched, the video I watched was about um, screen time, generally. Right. Like, yeah, so... Social media really hacks our our um, happiness, pleasure circuits, whatever. Oh, of course, yeah. In, in a way that we don't even understand, but these algorithms yeah. must have, have hacked something about... Like, I've heard... T- I've never downloaded it, but I've heard TikTok is the worst of all the social media platforms. Oh, that's what I heard. Yeah, I don't use In it. that it makes Terrible. the ability to just waste that five more minutes, 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes. Like, you don't even realize... There's no end to TikTok, basically. And you're constantly switching context. So, like, your brain is never settling. Like, that's why it's hard to settle into a book. It's like you're settling into one context, right? Yeah. But, like, when you scroll through social media, it's like, here's this, now here's this, now here's this. And it's like... Four completely different things. Yeah. So it's like pleasurable because it's easy. Yeah. As a result of that, like real life activities start to not give you as yeah. pleasure, like taking a walk or like spending some quality right, time right. with your partner or just very simple things. Like, like a sunset don't... walk can be yeah. so pleasurable. But if you're addicted to the short term hits of social media yeah. or the piece of cake or it could be anything, yeah. I guess. Right? And as a result of that, you're anxious basically pretty much all the time. And most of what you're we're like a dis- drug addict. You're like, yeah, I need my fix. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my most most of where this comes from is like because when you're indulging in that behavior, you're basically don't want to really deal with your emotions. <laughs> so part of it is that I think also it's like a way of dealing with difficult emotions mm-hmm. is not a great way is not dealing Ignoring with them. them. <laughs> exactly. So shove that back in the closet. And it's like the, uh, if you live in a house for many years, you're like, you just have a closet where you put all the stuff. You don't have the courage to throw away and like figure out if you should throw it away. Right. <laughs> but like, you also don't want to, like, it's just like not, it's like, that's a future me problem. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that. Pretty I've also cool. like read on this whole dopamine thing that, the more long-term and meaningful your goal is, mm-hmm. you know, the the more like depth your dopamine system will have in motivating you. And you have to learn that your dopamine motivational system, you should be setting like short-term goals, medium-term goals, and long-term goals. And you have to have like signposts along the way so that you know what you're achieving, right? Mm-hmm. Over the next year, I want to grow my business this much. By the end of the month, I want to accomplish that goal. And then by the end of today, you know, like these sort of signposts that you can tell yourself, okay, this is happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then you also, I think, have to know it's okay to feel that down feeling after you've accomplished something. Oh, definitely. We tend to set our sights on goals and we think if I accomplish this goal, I'll finally be happy. And then you are, right? You play that concert that you've been aiming at for a while. It's mm-hmm. like on your mind the whole year because it's so hard or something. Yeah. And then you finally play it. It goes so well. You're so happy. You go out for drinks that night with the people and then you're on the flight home or something and you go, what's next? What now? Yeah, you know? exactly. And this this guy who studies... um his name's Andrew Huberman, I think. And and um, he just has a great podcast. I was going to say, he sounds very familiar. Yeah, I, th- I think I Huberman got his name right. Lab? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that one, yeah. Okay. And he just goes through like studies in depth. His podcast episodes are like mm-hmm. three hours long. Mm-hmm. And in one, he was talking about dopamine and motivation and just saying, after you accomplish a big goal, don't be surprised by that crash. Like that crash is very natural. No. Just wait. Don't like freak out about it. Don't think something's wrong. Just wait and the new goal will start to materialize. Yeah. So I think it's okay to have goals and 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 look out into the external world and realize like a lot of those things will bring you happiness. But it's that dukkha idea from Buddhism, right? That the external world is always changing. So if that is your source of happiness, just know that it's a very unreliable source. Right. Yeah. Um, you know that classic quote. Um, I say it all the time. Maybe I've said it on here a bunch. I don't know. Um, can you say his name? The Who? the that French author. You're much better at French pronunciation than me. Hey. <laughs> Which one? Hold on. Let me see. 
it's towards the top. It's now and then it's good to pause in our pursuit of happiness and just be happy. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't find it. It's a French guy, Apollinaire. Okay. Did I nail I, it? I, I believe you. Yeah, I still can't so find it. now and then it's good to pause in our pursuit of happiness and just be happy. And I think that quote, you know, it's not always fun to unpack quotes when they just have a meaningful sense to them, but I think it's worth unpacking, and at least right now, that there are these two forms of happiness. There is the external thing that you pursue, a goal, then you get it, and you do get a hit of happiness. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, like, when you pause in that and just be happy, that's that's a thing you can do, yeah, right? It's, it's beautiful. And that's an internally sourced happiness grounded in inner peace and that sort of... Deeper things, basically deeper. Deeper internal yeah. things, right? And I don't even know if this comes from a quote. I couldn't find it, but I've heard it at some point. It, it went something like, you can never become happy. You can only be happy. And it's saying the same thing, right? You can't become happy because you're, you're chasing after that promotion. You get the promotion. Now you're making more money than you ever dreamed of within 20 minutes, <laughs> yeah. within what, 20 days, whatever the time scale is, you will not be happy again. And yeah. you'll be complaining and chasing after some new thing. Yeah. But at any moment, even if you got fired from your job, you're going through a divorce, whatever the thing is, you could pause and connect to your inner peace, see the world. And it's like, zoomed out kind of like big picture and just be happy, right? Be yeah. happy, not in that bubbly sense necessarily, but in that one. inner peace and acceptance. Acceptance. I, I like that word. Yeah, that's that's what it is, I think. Before we go on to hedonic, I'll say the last thing I heard today on the podcast, the guy said, one of the, the main things I see why people aren't happy, he said, if life is like one of those pointillistic paintings, mm-hmm you know, like those pixely paintings, yeah. right? He's like, people have their nose pressed against the canvas and they wonder why they're unhappy. <laughs> it's like, like, just that. step back and see the big picture, yeah. right? <laughs> I remember a quote, but I'm going to butcher this and I don't even remember. It might be quotes all episode. Oh, Go thank for it. You. It was something like, you sit in under the shadow of, of your tree wondering why you're not getting any sunlight type of quote. Uh, you know what I mean? Basically, yeah, like you're part your of own it is, shadow. Yeah. You're getting in your own way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or like sitting under a tree. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be your tree. But I'll resist like, saying a Seinfeld quote. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So what is a hedonic adaptation for you? Hedonism meaning like pleasure, right? Yeah. Hedonic adaptation meaning like, uh, and the other word for it I mentioned earlier was hedon the hedonic treadmill. Mm -hmm. um, so you've probably heard this like just in pop culture kind of thing. I did a little bit of looking up like where the word came from and which psychologists like first coined it and stuff. Mm -hmm. But what, what for you is like the basic idea of it? Um, I like, think like, you're like that dessert I love doesn't make me happy anymore. No, it's just like, I heard this like beautiful podcast a while ago and it was, um, it was a Turkish podcast actually. I forgot who it was, but this guy was talking about hedonic adaptation and he had a beautiful way of explaining this. he, rented an office space like his business picked up and then this had the like most beautiful like just painting like view of the Bosphorus basically and then he would just like stare at it and be like ah oh, like it's just just gorgeous whatever and then after a while he started talking about like how he started getting annoyed at like certain things like or like sun's exactly yeah just he started getting all annoyed at like birds like whatever like i'm making this up obviously but like birds like shitting all over yeah. this that or like he would spend certain days where he wouldn't even like look outside the window like doesn't even make a point or like he would just like get used to basically get used to like a something that you really um I don't know how to describe it. It's basically, it's, I just described it. I think that's what hedonic yeah, so adaptation is. Ba basically, it's, you can think of it like our psychological immune system. And, um, you know, adaptation, right? It means like you, something's happening in your environment and you adapt to it. You alter yourself mm -hmm. to return to balance with it, right? Yeah. So when we moved from... Uh, New York to Miami, we 
adapted to the sun. My skin yeah. definitely got like more tan,、mm-hmm. and I get sunburned way less easily than the equivalent hour walk in even New York sun, where I would get more burned. Right? I'm just my so like there's biological adaptations, right? Basically, our whole body is set up this way to be like at an equilibrium, right? Like we have these opposing forces of like hormones and body temperature, and like everything's just maintaining this equilibrium.、Mm-hmm. And then,、uh, I think 1971 was this first paper. It was called "Hedonic Relativism and Planning the Good Society,"、mm-hmm. and they called it the hedonic treadmill. And treadmill. With the idea of like you're ch- you're running, you're chasing, right?、Yes. But you're not getting anywhere. Yes. And the idea is that we all have this happiness set point,、mm-hmm. and it's kind of like this middle thing. And as this has evolved into like more modern studies, like they've shown that there isn't one happiness set point, but there are many.、Mm-hmm. Like in other words, you have a well-being set point, you have like a relationship set point, and. All these different categories within your、mm-hmm. life, but the idea is things very temporarily,、mm-hmm. and the timescale could be a year sometimes,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get married, and you're just like, I've had this goal to get married for so long, I'm happy now. But the the studies show when they follow it that you return to whatever your baseline of happiness was in that area of life. Yeah, why do you think we're designed like this, though? Is it because Us humans, like we should just like seek more meaning, or like is it big design because like we should just kind of aim better, or my, yeah. My first answer would be we're not designed. I mean, <laughs> but okay, we evolved. Whatever, you know I mean. We evolved certain things to survive, right? So a lot of things about us, I would say, from a design perspective. They're beautiful, like in terms of function, right? Like the way the muscles work in in harmony with each other, and the way the systems of the body. And but psychologically, we did not evolve to be happy. We evolved to. I mean, if we were happy and content, I guess we would just stop moving, sit under a tree, yeah, and get, fat and get and die, yeah, or like <laughs> get know? eaten, like or something.、And、get eaten before、yeah. we can even do that, right? <laughs> exactly.、Um, So we're designed to have happiness and pleasure be a motivating force,、mm-hmm. and then we go after things. We get them. We get that reward hit, but then we have to immediately be like, "What's next?" Right? I need to forage for more food.、Yeah. I need to find another mate. Right? Okay, that makes.、Sense. Our goals are to survive and to pass our genes on to the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like the the whole like classic concept of like oh you become sexually dissatisfied in a long term relationship. It's like、mm-hmm. duh,、mm-hmm. like you know, like what animal? Like I mean, yeah, there are not- there are a few animals that like mate long term. That's true. But almost all species,、yeah. even the monogamous ones, meaning the ones that mate for life,、mm-hmm. cheat. Very. So there are birds that are monogamous maters.、Mm-hmm. I forget the species of bird. I saw it on like a minute physics like YouTube video, but right before the sun rises, this bird will leave the nest, go mate with some other bird, right, <laughs> and then fly back. Now here's the funny part: it flies away from its nest and goes to some other nest. But that female bird in that nest probably had another male bird who flew to another, right? Like <laughs> they're basically constantly so, rotating. But but that's the kind of stuff nature, natural selection, like. Th- That evolves through natural selection. It's like if the goal is to be happy and meaningful and like be moral, right? Yeah. Like so, there's nothing about our our ourselves that we should think is naturally like moral or,、um, you know, our our systems internally are grounded in like being permanently happy. So, so we're evolved in a way that we always should chase the next thing because that's basically our. Yeah, Ex- how we existed all, all throughout history, and hedonic adaptation happens on the scale of physical. Like we've talked about dopamine already, right?、Mm-hmm. Receptors don't bind to the molecule, or you don't produce the molecule as much, right?、Um, but it also happens on the psychological level,、mm-hmm. whatever that means, because like there's so much mystery to consciousness and stuff. So it's like. 
something brings you pleasure. And then that pleasure will fade both on the circuitry level, but also on the psychological level. But here's the cool part. Hedonic adaptation, even though it's like literally like adaptation to pleasure, it also works in the negative. We adapt to awful circumstances in life oh. and normalize to them. So if you live in a war zone, if, if you come from a non-war zone, like we live in a, you know, a city that is on any scale comparatively to any animal or any human who's ever lived, we live in a remarkably peaceful city, right? Yes, yes. But if you live in a war-torn city where like bombs are dropping and, and you know, it's being invaded and whatnot, like probably in certain places in Ukraine right now or something, yes. over time you adjust to that where that's the new normal your new, new and normal, you don't yeah. have the same... Um, intense emotional Emotion. reactions to that. So it also works to curb and adapt to negative things. That's interesting, yeah. That, that makes sense. And in that sense, you would go, well, thank God we have that. Yes, because right? you probably can't really sustain being in that. I mean, obviously, it's not the same example by any means, but I think our, our generation, like when we experienced the global pandemic, like at first it was like insane. Like how? Like And then... And you're like, okay, like that's what know. it is when now. When did you I adapt to it? Oh, pretty quickly, I think. Like by the time it was April, I'm like, okay, this after, is it. Like I think after one week, after we couldn't, um, what was it? Flatten the curve in well, two yeah, weeks. I was going to say, like, I was gonna I say after one week, I was like, they were bullshitting us about that two weeks to flatten the curve <laughs> That's thing. Definitely not happening. Oh crap! Now we're gonna have like a uh, like some label put on our YouTube video because we yeah. mentioned the pandemic. Oh, just gonna give you a call. Yeah, yeah. How dare you say that? <laughs> uh, so uh, another few quick studies that, that are cool examples of this, uh, a 1978 study called Lottery Winners and Accident Victims is Happiness Relative. And it showed, and it studied uh, lottery winners mm -hmm. and paraplegics compared to a control group of just normal, you know, people who didn't have a, so you would say like the lottery winners had like a, a spike of a, an amazingly like thing that makes most people very happy mm -hmm. and then people who had an accident and became a paraplegic yes had a very negative thing happen and they controlled both of those they compared both of those groups to a control group of someone who had nothing happen right mm -hmm. just living life like they have been and it showed that they eventually returned to their average set point of happiness with within some time frame the time frame varies right mm -hmm. but they lottery winners you're talking about both both okay Lottery winners, whatever, like, so people have different time frames. some like within a few months, some within a few years. Mm -hmm. It's, it's basically you adjust to your new lifestyle. Yeah. And of course with lottery, you could imagine you make more money. So you buy more stuff. But you want more basically. And, and yeah, you just keep wanting to upgrade your life. Now the bill collectors are at your door because you spent too much of the lots of money you had, or, right? Or not either way, you probably level out after a while. But, but yeah, anyway. even if, even if you're just like... Again, let's say you buy this fancy apartment overlooking the Bosphorus with the most amazing view. Eventually, I think something in us, if there's no problems in our life, we create problems. Yeah, kind of you know? The surface too, yeah. I said that to you today. You were talking about some some issue you're dealing with <laughs> and and you were getting annoyed and I was like, "Don't forget, like it's really good to have problems." <laughs> like, That's true. Yeah. Cuz like if you don't, you get so bored That's that fair, you start yeah. to poke at things in your life, even subconsciously, you'll like create problems all around you just so you have something to do, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then the same thing with the paraplegics, like they develop this sort of view of life, like, well, yeah, this happened to me, but in a way I'm kind of grateful because all these other great things came because of that, you know? Yeah, so yeah. people return to this sort of set point mm -hmm. is the idea. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about a few ways I don't know if you came up with any yourself. I have a few that I jotted down here. Once you know about hedonic adaptation, and I can imagine like, you know, what was it? A few episodes ago, we did one on metacognition. Mm -hmm. Whether you call it mindfulness, metacognition, this idea of like stepping back from like your ego identity and just kind of viewing your mind as if you're above it, meta above yes. it, yes, and just watching it happen. You can sort of watch your hedonic adaptation happen. Yeah, exactly. And then I think you can 
change it in a way. Like you can be mindful of it, maybe not change it, but like be mindful of it. Yeah. Whatever you can do, you don't have to be so tricked by it, right? Exactly. Um, so Especially if it's like as a response to like a positive experience, like where you, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Or a negative one, right? Or not, yeah. Like sometimes it's easy to adjust to bad circumstances and you don't notice it's bad and then like, That's true. Your friend comes over and sees like, you know, how your wife talks to you or something or how your husband talks to you. And and then they're like, are you okay with that? Like, and you're like, what? I just got so used to it, you know? So in both ways, like you, you want to be aware that you might be adjusting to your environment so much that you don't realize how you first experienced it. You know, that's true. Certainly in terms of pleasure, it's a great way to, uh, beginner's mind is is this meditation concept. And that's one of my favorite ways when I, I feel myself having too much hedonic adaptation to what I'm doing. So if I'm playing a symphony orchestra concert with an orchestra that's amazing, mm-hmm. a piece that I love, and I find myself walking to the morning rehearsal and going, Ugh. I can't believe, yeah. like, oh man, like uh, this... And then I, I stop myself. I see that part of myself. Yeah. And I decide to I just like step back, identify with some other thing and be like, how would past you view this? It would view this as literally living out. You're living out your past you, past you's dream, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And that's a, just a I mental try to exercise. That. Yeah, I try to remember that every time I'm. Yeah, complaining about a situation, that's very yeah. true, yeah. Another one is just gratitude, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A lot of these things, you like everybody knows what the word gratitude means, but people don't realize you could practice gratitude. Of course, of course. I mean, there are lots of ways of doing it. Some people, a lot of people pray. That's a form of expressing gratitude. Saying thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it can be so much more secular than that as well. But And it should be, I think it should be a, some people say like manifesting, etc. Like you know, just people have their own, I think, description. Yeah. To that idea, if but you, it should happen. I think it's very. A lot of essential. people do those journals. The, oh. The gratitude journals, right? That's true. Exactly. Yeah. I never tried that, but oh, it's great. I I had I have one. You know. <laughs> I do the the uh, we talked about this a couple episodes back. The stoicism technique called negative visualization. Yeah, I remember. And you're just sitting that. there. You feel like you know, whatever, my life's boring, you know, not much going on. I'm not, nothing's really like exciting me, but just choose something in your life and pretend it's not there. Like Mm -hmm. negative, visualize your life without the thing. Visualize your partner dying, visualize your career going away, right? Visualize anything like that. And it's a, a little mental experiment to hack you out of that adaptation to realize that you're currently living the thing that y- that you would want if this thing wasn't that you know like yeah. it's I, 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 it's hard to put to language but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's so easy to forget that you're living like the best version of reality possible right now like most people like i would say i mean also like i mean things if not the always, best you're in like the top 10% the top 10, right? yeah exactly like if it's like you know 14,000, whatever in that. And then if you compare it to the history of humans, like there's also 100,000 years, whatever. But if it's like all the possible realities, like what was that? Like in (laughs) Infinity War, like 14,000, whatever. Compared to the, the, uh, all the timelines. All the timelines, et cetera. Of quantum, the quantum many worlds, like timelines. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, Another thing, I mean, this is all just kind of centering around this mindfulness idea. But you can you can um, get a, a more and more refined understanding of how the brain constantly gets fooled mm-hmm. by and and again, like it it happens on like the smallest things, like, oh, if I just get this, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you even have that language thought some of the yeah, time. Just... It's so mindless sometimes. Yeah. You're sitting at the table. Mm-hmm with a bunch of people and there's like shared appetizers, whatever, right? You're all, or let's say dessert, whatever the thing is, you're full, you're full, you're not hungry. You've already had three of those things, but 
some sense of like boredom and whatever. You just like, you find your hand without you <laughs> reaching and grabbing, right? And it's at some level, as far as I've experienced when I can manage to be more mindful on that like refined level, there's kind of like whatever general mindfulness, but like as you practice it more, it gets more refined. Yeah. And like the the picture of it becomes more momentary. Yes. Joseph Goldstein says like, um, he calls it the uh, NPMs, noticings per minute. He's like beginning meditators, like will pause them after a minute and say, I noticed like five thoughts. Yeah. But really you've probably had like 500. Yeah, that's true. Know? Oh, for sure. Yes. And some of them like get lost on trains Your of thoughts and some of them get abandoned right away, yeah. but there's so many happening. Yeah. Of course. So I don't know, like for me, it's like this whole zoomed out umbrella of mindfulness is don't get tricked to think that any of your goals are the final goal or that there's a horizon to any of your goals. The horizon always shifts, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, definitely. Once I get this, then I'll be happy. Oh, I realized that at such a young age that that's not how life works. I don't, I'm not trying to say that I'm like superior to other people or like whatever, but I think I really realized that very quickly. It's maybe because of the occupation that we do, like just we have more chances to observe that. Like just I saw it very clearly that what after age this performance. Would you say? Definitely I think twenty. Oh okay, okay, 20. okay, okay. I think that's young. Like I don't know. <laughs> no, it I, is young. I mean yeah. I think you realize it in different levels, maybe sometimes not even consciously. I do remember having the thought in high school I quit um lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the year I quit, they won the state championship. <laughs> um, and I remember just getting the view from the stands. I went to the game. I just had to quit because I was focusing on music. It was very easy to get injured and like break your finger or something. And yeah. so, and and also mentally, I was just done with that world and moving into this art world. And but I remember sitting in the stands and. Um, being so happy to see them. They were so happy, right? People are just like throwing their equipment up, like just hugging each other. Like, you know, it's like this thing. And I remember this, maybe this is just like my natural tendency. Hoping mechanism or whatever. <laughs> no, no, not, I don't mean that. I mean, like, since I was a kid, I, I feel like at some level, I always had like a lower happiness set point. Like I realized right away, like, oh, this doesn't last. Like yeah. we're on vacation. Like if it was like two days before the last day. Yeah way before anyone else is like, oh man, it's ending. I was like, yo guys, this thing's ending. Oh, in that <laughs> sense, I, of course I had that as well. Like I just couldn't put my finger on it at that That's age. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I had no language for it. Exactly. I just like felt it. The language came like when I was around 20, I think. But anyway, go on. But some language came in this, in this, when I saw all these friends and my brother, like win the state championship, I remember thinking that's so great for them. But like, I hope they know, like, like it's going to be a few days and now that's over, you know, that, yeah. that, that sense of accomplishment will be there on some level, but it's going to start fading and fading and fading. Is it better to not realize that that's a thing? Like for instance, like us talking here and realizing and acknowledging that that's a factor or some people go through their lives without ever realizing that that fades or which one's better? I would say knowing is better because you can enjoy the moment, but not get, um, you know, it's this concept that you should, have, you should have one foot in the attachment and one foot detached. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, what was her name? You just listened to that Elizabeth podcast. Gilbert? Yeah, she read that poem. It's about like, you know, you have to be, it, one half of you has to be engaged with the world and the other half ha- has to be detached. Yeah. If you're completely detached, then then there's something missing, right? You're not engaging with the, oh. with the, with the world and the humans in it. But like, if you're, if you're, if you're too engaged, then you get swept up in it and tricked and you'll have episodes of anger and like, and, and then when you're happy, you'll think that's the only thing in the world. And like, True. Uh, so I, I think that would, I would say it's better to just have that wisdom of, of, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat attached, somewhat detached, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is by the way, uh, just the, um, the two ways you, people have maybe heard this is Marcus Aurelius, like, um, well, the Marcus Aurelius translation that I always use is the impediment to action advances action. 
that which stands that which which stands in the way becomes the way. Mm-hmm. So the 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 clever title of Ryan Holiday's book that captures this sentiment is the obstacle is the way. Yeah. It's not like you have a path and like, oh man, those damn obstacles are getting in my way. Those are the path, yeah, right? Life. Which my dad just said without knowing any of this yeah, I wisdom. Love that. <laughs> a few months ago, we were in I'm like, like an, wow. We, no, no, it was it was last year. We were oh, in an elevator. Okay, I thought. And he was just year. like saying in broken English, he's like, you know, basically like, don't be surprised by problems. Life is problems. You solve them, and then, and then there's more. There's more. <laughs> damn that! Wow, you're a philosopher um, now. <laughs> And then the last thing is like negative emotions. They're just part of us. Oh. People are like, oh my God, like negative emotions. Like, ah, you know, I'm not happy. It's like you need, like you are a balance of positive and negative emotions. Fear being a negative emotion, by the way. And so like bipolar people, when they have an episode where they're all up, right? They mm-hmm. do crazy things out of happiness. And then when they crash, it's mm-hmm. like, the opposite, right? It's all like depression. They can't even move, whatever. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling a wave of happiness, it's like some of the negative things like fear that stop you from doing really impulsive things that will get you in trouble, right? So I I think that's another element of this mindfulness is like realize that you're supposed to be a mix and a balance of positive and negative emotions. Yeah, definitely. It's all about the balance. Is there anything else? I have a closing quote as usual. Go for it. Yeah. Um, This is a Kurt Vonnegut quote from A Man Without a Country. And I urge you to please notice when you are happy and exclaim or murmur or think at some point, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. Nice. And I urge you to please notice. True. I think it's important to be mindful. Yeah. And and I think it also like I, I don't know what he necessarily meant by that, but for me I interpret that as like happiness is not the thing you go get. Mm-hmm. It descends upon you. Oh, I like you that. know. Yes. And when it does, be mindful and just be really Appreciate appreciative it. and yeah. gracious that like, hey, this is like a little signal that I'm on a meaningful you know, moral good path in life. If I'm getting this like wave of warm emotions, like that's probably a good sign. Let me take a moment to really notice this and think if this isn't nice, I don't know what is, you know? Classic Kurt Vonnegut just found the perfect language to like give you goosebumps when you read it, you know? Yes, beautiful, definitely. Cool. Hey, look, we're under 50 minutes. Look at us, wow, okay. Cool, anything else? No, there we go, I guess. Thanks for listening, guys. Yep, thank you. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.